Hello and welcome. My name is Dr. Christopher Gennari, and this is the start of our history podcast. What's coming next is a why do we study history? Why do we care? Also, um, basically, something about 10,000 years worth of history. We're going to break it up into different seasons. We're going to break it up into, into different groups. We're going to start with what it, I'm going to call the History 101. Uh, that's the ancient world. That's actually the pre-ancient world, the ancient world, and then the medieval world. Uh, basically, 10,000 B.C. to 1500 A.D. Then we're going to do History 102, which is like History 102 courses. And we're going to do 1500 to 2000. This is going to be world history. We're going to touch a little bit about everything. Um, then after that, we're going to have episodes on my specialty. I am a uh, Scandinavian historian. I specialize in Swedish military history. So we're going to talk about that. There's also going to be episodes about military history. And we're going to do deep dives into specific things. So basically, if you... We're ever wondering, like, I don't understand stuff. This will give you the basics of kind of everything. So you find the episodes you want, and you go with that. We are also going to have a history behind the news segment. This is uh, comes from a series of lectures I have I've done in uh, South Jersey, in, in different communities in South Jersey. So we're going to do that so that we start with the Middle East, but we'll move on to uh, topics in East Asia. And so if you're ever wondering why, like, why terrorism, we, we will have a lecture on that. So we have a long journey ahead of us. Um, and you don't have to listen to everything. You could pick and choose. We're going to plop everything up. It's going to be awesome. Um, we're going to tell it like it is. So uh, there will be times you'll listen to it and go, wait, that, that's not, wait. Ah, ah. It's okay. I am not here to, 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 to do, to promote a philosophy. I am not here to, to pick sides. I'm not here to tell you what you should think. I'm kind of here to tell you... Um, what happened, and what is our best interpretations. And when things are controversial, to, to discuss those different parts, especially as we hit the History 102 stuff, uh, that there are um, different interpretations. And I'll tell you flat out where I am, um, but I'll also say, look, this is the other interpretation. And so, and sometimes my interpretation is um, is a is the minority belief, and sometimes it's the majority belief, and and um, but I'm not here to say to promote some kind of grand theory of the universe. I'm here to say this is this is what happened, and this is what we think is why, and we'll get into that in a moment because that's the question. The why is the real question. So why history? And whenever I start with students, I always get the, oh, why am I here? My math colleagues, 
They get, when will I ever use this? I get the, why are we here? And I get the, I hate history. I hate it. I hate history. And I say, no, no, you don't. You don't hate history. What you had in high school wasn't history. What you hate is memorization. That's what you hate. You hate names and dates. Names and dates aren't history. History is called history. It's not called names and dates. It's not names and dates class. And yet, what names and dates do is is it's a crutch. It's a shortcut. You can't blame teachers for it. It's the path of least resistance. We live in an age where multiple choice assessment is the norm, especially at the high school level. And we've gotten even more than when I was in school. It's even more. So teachers just don't have the time, first of all. The second is they are increasingly beholden to data. And, and data is easy on a multiple-choice test. The, the, you can know how many people got question five wrong. You can know how many answered um, C on question five. You, you can break it down within a minute and see all of that data. Essays, you can't. Essays take hours, tens of hours. If I gave multiple-choice tests, I would have them back the next class. My essays take a week to two weeks to get back. So it's a shortcut for teachers who have to give multiple choice assessment. They have too much stuff going on, both within the school and within their own lives. The second thing is it's less pain in the butt for teachers to grade. It's easy. You just send it through. 20 seconds later, boom, I've got 100 people. Done. Moving on. The third is it's an easy grade for smarty pants students. For people who are good at going in 1492, Columbus sailed the ocean blue, boom, it's easy. You don't even have to know the material. Because there's plenty of shortcuts, there's plenty of mnemonics. Like, what's the river in Egypt? You don't know, you don't have to know what the river in Egypt is. You just have to know it starts with an N, the Nile. And back in the day, people would be like, oh, your test is so hard. Why? Why would they say my test is so hard? When I did give multiple choice tests at, at when I first started teaching at other colleges, why? Well, because I knew that's how they studied. And so what would I do? I give them four answers where at least two, three, or even all four start with an N. The Nile, the Niger, the Nacogdoches. And then they're all like, but, uh, uh, but I knew it was an N, and now they don't know which N it is. And so it's a shortcut for students. They fill in the thing... I remember one time we had we had tests, uh, final exams that took three hours, and we had a multiple choice history test. I finished it within twelve minutes. It was fifty questions. Finished it within twelve minutes, within within yeah easily twelve minutes. And then I had to sit there, got got a ninety nine on the test, but it didn't really ask me anything. It just asked names and dates. All right, well, that was easy to study for, but that's not history. The third thing is names and dates get you less complaints from parents. Since the student gets a better grade, the, the parent looks at the grade and goes, ah, you're doing great. And so here's the result. When did Columbus sail the ocean blue? 
1492. How do you know that? Because there's a song that says 1492. Now think about what you're not getting. What you don't get. So you got 1492. Great. What you didn't get is an explanation of the political and economic situation that propelled the Iberian world into exploring routes to India and China using both the southerly and westerly routes. Why does Columbus sail west and not south? And what political, social, demographic, and economic ramifications did those explorations have on Africa, on India, on China, and Mesoamerican civilizations, much less on Europe? No, you didn't get any of that. You got 1492. And yet, the second thing is what history is. It's all the stuff that happens and why it happens and how it happens and what's the effect of it happening. You are history. Sitting here, listening to this, in this moment in time, looking the way you do, thinking the thoughts you do, feeling the feels that you do, is history. Because all of those things can be different, would be different if not for accidents of time, place, events, if not for giant changes in human activity. Why am I an American? Why, are my, why did my ancestors not stay in Ireland, Germany, Hungary, Italy? Why? That's history. I am history. I am a a snowflake in history. I'm a, I am a piece of grain on the winds of history. Because for me to exist, not only did my ancestors from Ireland, Germany, Hungary, and Italy, and other places, all have to come to the United States, they then all had to live in a place where not only did they mix, but it was okay for them to marry each other. And it was socially acceptable for them to have children and for those children to be in society, in school, in college, in all of these places. That's history. History is not his story, though I will grant you there's a lot of men in it. History is Greek for inquiry, to ask a question, to ask why, and to explain to the best you can figure it out why things happen why they are the way they are. It's very scientific. Even though we're a humanity, we're, we're in the humanities, we're in the arts and humanities, that's the school I'm in, but we are, it is scientific reasoning because you start with the question. Herodotus, H-E-R-O, hero, H-E-R-O-D-O-T-U-S. Herodotus, who is the father of history, or the grandfather of history, really. He's also the grandfather of sociology, of anthropology, of archaeology. Because he went around the Greek world asking a question. And then his explanation is partly sociological, partly geographic. So he does human geography. Partly historical. So history is one of those mother topics from which other topics bleed out of. But Herodotus had a question. Why did the Greeks defeat the Persians? They shouldn't have. The Persians had the largest empire in the history of the world up to that point. They had the, a massive army. Their army was 20 times the size of the Greek army. Why do 
the Greeks win. They shouldn't. Everything says they shouldn't. And yet they do. And he, his, the answer he comes up with is the Greeks are free and the Persians are not. Now he has to prove that, and that's very scientific, very rational. We start with the question, then we have an answer or a thesis, and now we're going to prove it, and it takes him 900 pages to do so. But he has to prove the Greeks are free, so he has to do the history of the Greeks and showing how they're free. He has to prove that the Persians are not, so he has to do the history of the Persians and how they're not free. He then has to have that freedom matters in military, and that it played out in this particular war. So, he has a phenomenon, plus a hypothesis, equals the answer. So why isn't history science? Because you can't know for certain. You can't be sure. Herodotus has a great answer. The Greeks are free and the Persians are not. Other people come up with other answers. Logistics. The Persians could not feed themselves. The great man theory, that there's Themistocles on the Greek side and Xerxes on the Persian side, and one was better than the other. You'll see this, especially when we hit Alexander versus Darius, Darius III, Darius III, that Alexander was Alexander, and Darius just wasn't. And so it's not a surprise Alexander wins. And Darius loses. Now, that's a bit of fatalism. That's a bit of, it turned out well for Alexander. So that must be the answer. But that's why we're not a science. That's why we're humanity. Because there isn't really an answer. I have had students come up to me many a time and say, what's the answer? And I say, I can't tell you that. There isn't one. There's, there's what I think is the right answer. But there's what you can prove. There's the argument you can make. And then you've got to get other people to believe you. There are some 380 different published reasons for the collapse of Rome. There might be more, but at some point I saw that. And I'm, so I'm going to go with that as a number. Everybody who wrote a reason for why the Roman Empire fell thought they were right. They thought they were right. And everybody else was wrong. So which is the right answer? Well, they're all right. Because they all have proof. None of them are stupid. None of them are just made up. They're all 100, 200, 300, 500 pages to explain it. So none of them are wrong. And yet, which one's wrong? All of them are wrong. Because everyone who came up with a new theory, whether it's uh, Edward Gibbon blaming Christianity for making everyone uh, weak and peaceful. Or the people who said it's lead in the pipes that made everyone stupid and lazy. Or the people who said it's slavery. Or the people who said it's not enough slavery. They all say all those other reasons, they're wrong. So every reason is right. And every reason is wrong. It's the one you can make the best argument for. So that's why we're not a science, because a science to be a science has to be right every time. It has to be repeatable. And humans aren't repeatable. Alexander's conquest of the Persian world happened once. It can only happen once. If anyone else had tried it, if everyone else had tried it, if 
if Alexander had tried it more than once, he would have failed. The things that happened that allowed it to happen the way it happened only happened once. So then why do we have to learn history? I'm going to give you an analogy. The Death Star. Star Wars, the Death Star. Star Wars, Episode 4, A New Hope, the Death Star. Giant planet, can blow up other planets, the Death Star. Science, science, chemistry, physics. Science can tell you if you can build a Death Star. That's what it does. Economics, my friends in the economics departments, can tell you if you can afford one can tell you what the effect of the cost will be. Philosophy. Philosophy can tell you if it's a good idea to build one, if it's a moral idea. You know, maybe building a planet that blows up other planets and kills billions of people, maybe not a good idea. That's philosophy. Public speaking can tell you how to persuade people to build one. Rhetoric. Follow you. Somebody at some point on Coruscant, said, let's build a Death Star. And people said, yeah, and they built one. How do you persuade people to build a Death Star? That's public speaking. That's rhetoric. R-H-E-T-O-R-I-C. Computer science tells you how you could program all the apps to run the Death Star so that R2-D2 can, you know, hack into everything. They should have had better cybersecurity on the Death Star. That's all I'm saying. But computer science tells you how you can run one, how you can program all the apps, how you can get the garbage disposal to work when it's supposed to and stop right before it kills our heroes. Whew. History can tells you not to build a second one in Return of the Jedi because the rebellion already blew one up in A New Hope. It already tells you this didn't work. Why are you doing it again? It's just lazy. That's what history can do. It can say, look at what you did in the first movie. It didn't work. Maybe doing the exact same thing again won't work. See, because in the first movie, it was finished. In the second movie, it's not even finished. And you have to know the Rebellion's going to want to blow it up before it gets finished. So that's just lazy. It's like it tells you right there the empire doesn't have any good new ideas. Maybe because they all got all the thinkers got blown up on the first Death Star. So when they sat around and said, "Well, what do we do? How do we win? Oh, let's build another Death Star." And nobody was there to be like, you know, in the first movie, didn't work. A space ninja. Uh, Monk blew it up with his mind. He shot a missile down an exhaust. The exhaust should have just pushed the missile out just by being an exhaust because it's not sucking in air or space or black matter, dark matter. It's shooting out heat, which you have to do in a giant thing that blows up planets. Nobody was there. And so what did they do? They built another Death Star. And then Lando Calrissian comes along and blows it up. While Leia and Han are getting all cutesy 
with the Care Bears. Nobody liked the Care Bears. Which would tell us that when we finally meet Anakin Skywalker and he's a 10-year-old little Care Bear of a child, no one's going to like him. And nobody did. And that's history. And then we get to episode 7. And we're going to tell a story. And everyone liked the episode 4 story. And so what are we going to do? We're going to tell episode 7 story. Turns out to look exactly like episode 4. Right down to the to, to the to the to the to the one celebrated super actor getting killed in the movie. Not quite at the end, but almost at the end. Which is gonna make And it worked. Did it work? It worked. It worked. I have seen all of the movies so far in the movie theaters and people walked out of episode one, show shocked. What did we just see? It couldn't have been that bad, could it? It was. They walk out of episode seven and go, whoo, that was fun. That was good. Yeah, that didn't stink. See, history. Why we learn history? So that you don't make a crappy Star Wars movie and cost someone $100 million doing it. That's why. So why do we do history? Because it is one of the great analytical topics. We know what happens. We know what the result is. You want to get a job that's going to make you $100,000 a year? They are going to ask you what you think about something. That's what history does. It trains your brain to think about consequences, causes and effects, actions and ramifications, the simple and the complex interaction. Alexander invades the Persian Empire. So you get the simple, right? We have a Greek army invading another empire. But there's also the complex interaction. It is a Greek culture with Greek beliefs, Greek gods, Greek food, a Greek concept of democracy on the move through a Mesopotamian, ancient Mesopotamian civilization, which doesn't share any of these cultural conceits. Different food, different thought processes, different gods. It's different. And so you have the simple and you have the complex going on. We do inductive and deductive reasoning. We start with one big thing. We know this happened. We know Caesar is murdered. So let's break down. Let's break down all the reasons why he gets murdered. And then what does that mean? And we have deductive reasoning where we take little pieces, A plus B plus C, and end up with The Roman Empire. Rome is surrounded. Rome is backward. Rome is poor. Rome is scared to death of its neighbors. And boom, what happens is it ends up creating an empire. It creates that empire to defend itself so it doesn't get conquered by anybody else. Which means it starts as a paranoid state. So that anybody who comes along whether or not they're a real threat to Rome, has to be crushed. Has to be defeated. And they will be. We do all of this. This is why we don't do multiple choice tests in my class, in, in history classes. We do essays. Because you have to explain your thinking. Because history asks for that. The sciences get there. But you have to do a lot of memorization. A lot of 
a lot of anatomy. You have to know what the body parts are before you can start talking about what they do. We already know what happened. I know Columbus comes to America. So let we start there. So now we have to talk about how and why and so what. And history is one of the best courses for that. There's an article that I have, which is called Forget Coding. Writing is a design unicorn skill. That what Silicon Valley needs is writers, thinkers, not coders. And here, here's the money quote. I can teach anyone to code. I can't teach them how to think about something. And I don't have the time to teach them how to express themselves about what they think. If you can think, you can learn anything. If you can express your ideas about something. If you can look at a cause and go, this is the effect. If you can look at an effect and say, this is probably the cause. That's what history teaches. That's why we're here. That's why everyone learns it. We are the great playground subject because we know how it turns out. And since we know how it turns out, we get a lot of freedom to discuss, well, how did it end up that way? So in our next episode, in our first episode, we start with nomads. Hunter-gatherers walking from place to place to place, looking for food, shooting things with arrows along the way. From there, we create settled society. From there, we create empires. From there, we'll invent law and religion. From there, civilization and history. I'm excited. I hope you are excited. I hope this helps. We shouldn't have a Death Star in, Re in Jedi. We're not enough historians on the writing uh, team. But we're going to do a lot of other things. We're going to talk big ideas. That's what we're here to do. We talk big ideas, and we try to solve big problems. And sometimes we'll fail, and sometimes we'll, we'll debate, and we'll have different ideas about why things are the way they are. But we're not going to be afraid of those questions. We're going to engage those questions. Because that's what we do. That's what history does. And, by the way, we're awesome. See you in the next episode. Take care.